Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the Obtuse Angles Wrestling Podcast with Kyle and Jeremy. Uh, Kyle here. And what you're about to hear is an interview Jeremy and I recorded with Axel Rotten just a couple of months ago. And uh, it's, it's February 5th right now, so the news just broke last night that Axel passed away. And we did not know, uh, obviously, when we interviewed Axel that that would wind up being his last interview ever. And, uh, you know, obviously we just talked to the guy once. I spoke with him back and forth on Twitter. And uh, at the end of the interview, we were, we were talking about having Axel back on the show to talk about rock, you know, because he was such a huge rock fan. And, and I hit him up just a couple of days before he died, uh, trying to get him back on the show. Obviously, that didn't happen. But he, I just wanted to say he is such... Uh, a kind, sincere, sweet guy in the messages that we sent back and forth leading up to the interview, after the interview, during the interview. We appreciate anybody who comes on to this podcast because obviously, you know, this isn't Cabana's podcast or uh, or JR's podcast with, you know, millions of listeners. I mean, you know, we were growing every month, but I mean, we appreciate anybody who can come on here and, and talk about the art of the business and will share their time with us and Axel did that, and uh, we just wanted to say before we get to the interview and we get to the episode that we're going to play for you in its entirety from November, thank you so much, Axel, for all of the memories and and everything that you sacrificed for this business, and just thank you for being on the show and being such a rad dude. Thank you so much, Axel, and uh, now let's go to the interview. Axel Rotten, ECW, thank you so much. It's the Obtuse Angles Wrestling Podcast with Kyle and Jeremy. You know, every day above ground is a good day, and we're still here, and that's why we're on this podcast, and we're having a good time. No, 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 it's not. It was called Anchorage. It wasn't a laugh. It's pretty funny, but I'll I'll tell you the truth. I would have probably been better off if I was in Alaska because I'm not going to endorse that. Um, 
hellhole for one minute. The, the only part that came out of that was if you watch the documentary, which is called um, uh, the Hardcore, is Extreme Injuries, Hardcore Recovery, I think is the name of it, um, done by Title Match Wrestling. Um, is if you watch the documentary, you'll see my physical therapist. Uh, her name is Kyla. Uh, she's the young girl with the glasses, and it, had it not been for her, I truly don't think that I would have uh, succeeded to the point where I am now, where I'm almost walking um, completely unassisted. Now, mind you, the last year at this time, at this very time, I was laying in a hospital bed, scared to death because I couldn't move from my waist down, and today I am able to walk, you know, sometimes with a cane, sometimes unassisted, sometimes with a walker, but I was told I would never walk again, I would be confined to a wheelchair, and I basically told my doctor when he said to me, I don't think that uh, you'll ever be able to walk again, I don't think that the nerves will heal in your legs, and probably you would get used to sitting in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And I said, look, dude, probably you should get used to getting the fuck out of my room because I'm not taking that advice. There's never been a time in my life that when I said I'm going to just sit down and take it, you know, I'm going to fight for it. And now, you know, um, if you look on my Instagram page, you know, which is, you know, all my shit's really easy to get to. It's just on Instagram. It's at AxelRottenECW. You can see the video of me taking my first steps which was a couple weeks ago, and I've just been moving forward, guys. Yeah, uh, that was probably um, made, I want to say June or July. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if you watch uh, Extreme, it's just like Extreme Injuries, Hardcore Recovery, I'll plug it again, it's on YouTube, I'm not getting paid anymore for it, I already got paid, I just think it's a good watch for anyone that's a wrestling fan or anyone that needs any kind of inspiration to know that, you know, life doesn't always deal you that winning hand, man, and, and I've been dealt a real shitty deck of cards a lot of times, but, uh, you know, sometimes I've lost, and sometimes I've cashed in the chips and walked out the winner. But the only way to do that is to play the game. If you don't play the game, you can't win. Well, you know, uh, the whole thing, like alcohol was never really my, my thing, um, but, you know, I, I tried everything, and uh, from cocaine to, you know, till the, hey, even crystal meth, which, you know, is, by the way, you know, hard, just absolutely horrendous. I only did it one time, and that was enough for me to know I never wanted to do it again, but once I got um, hooked on heroin, it was like, you know, it became 
you know, the love of my life. It became the most romanticized thing I'd ever had because, you know, it would just take away all any and all emotions. You know, you didn't have to feel the pain physically, mentally. You just kind of check out of life. And I did that for like 10 years and was really pisses me off because when I left ECW, I was only 29 years old. I was at the height of my career and instead of moving forward, I just went into this abyss of, you know, and if you want to talk about my lowest point, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I mean, I, I lost my house. I lost my car. I lost my job. I was living in a homeless shelter. I was copping, you know, $100, $200 worth of heroin a day and shooting it up, you know, and uh, it was absolutely just, just you know, a, a horrible situation because what they do is, you know, they, they don't, they sell you the entrance program, which is how great you're going to feel, but no one tells you the exit plan, which is everything that you ever had goes away. And that's just, you know, that's what addiction does to you. It takes, it wants all your money, all your, your house, all your will, your wife, your child, and then at the end it wants your life. And that's just, that's, that's the, the God's honest truth. Yeah, I mean, and, and let me be blunt. The, the fact is, had I got that offer in 1995, 96, or 97, I would have been perfectly good to go and, and do it. But at that time, it had such a hold on me that um, I just, you know, literally I, the, the three-year deal was signed. The contract was executed. I was already collecting checks for um, six weeks prior to the first event I was supposed to go to. And, you know, when the, the, the scariest thing about that stuff is what you hear coming out of your mouth. So you're listening to yourself tell you, it's okay, go do it, no problem. But the problem is that's the same voice that gets you in trouble. And that's why you have to stay up front and be really, really on point about the, uh, the substance abuse thing. And I can't stress enough if there's anybody out there listening. I'm not going to turn this into a PSA, but... Uh, all I can tell you is if you don't get help, you will end up dead or you'll end up in jail, you know, and I, I lost that job with WWE, but to be perfectly honest, I don't think I was emotionally, physically, or um, even professionally ready to handle, you know, the time on the road. It was just, it was just, it was just bad timing. Now, I've seen a lot of the, uh, you know, the interviews with uh, people like uh, New Jack and Man. Uh, a Raven, uh, you know, a lot of the guys from the, from the waning days of ECW, and they talked about uh, life, you know, working on the road and working uh, for ECW the way it was in the locker room. Uh, you know, I'm sure the way they talked about the drug use and abuse that was going on there, I mean, that's got to perpetuate I mean, did, uh, I did the addiction, as far as the addiction, and when, when you were at your, I guess, your heaviest youth, uh, did that, that come with the territory? I mean, that come with... Uh, you know, working for ECW, or was yeah, that something that you could have done before? I mean, you know, uh, they don't care if, you know, your your back's out or you broke your arm or anything like that. It's like, you know, 
take a handful of uh, Oxycontin and some Somas and drink a couple beers and go out there and do your thing, you know? And um, it was like the only thing I can really associate it with is because I'm a huge music fan. If you could imagine, you know, being on the road, partying every night with Motley Crue back in the day or Guns N' Roses, when ECW, we were just like this like band of traveling misfits, you know, that just didn't fit in anywhere else. But for some reason, in ECW, we all kind of worked together. Now, I'm talking in the beginning. In the beginning, we had this, you know, all for one, one for all mentality. But toward the end, when money started to get involved, uh, things changed a little bit. But in that very beginning, um, you know, we would go from one city to the other. Now, we were in Boston. You know, there were people in Boston. So we had to party with Boston, with the people in Boston, and have, have whatever fun you're having with the girls in Boston. Well, the next night, you know, you may be in Providence. Well, you know, guess what? There's new people in Providence that have party favors, and there's new girls. And um, then the next night you're in Cleveland. Guess what? They have party favors, and they have girls. Now the one common denominator is you. And you're doing, for me or whomever, you're doing the same amount of partying every single night, and you're wearing your body down. It's, it's, it was absolutely amazing that... Uh, you know, I was lucky to get out of that life alive, to be quite honest. It's like kind of, per, kind of perpetuated, it, it perpetuates itself, you know, that kind of life like over and over. It's, uh, you know, a new, uh, a new town, uh, new people, and, uh, you know, from the boss night after night. I mean, you know, yeah, I, you I, have I, to remember this, and I, I forgot who said it, but I did hear it recently, um, that for, like, like, for every guy that gets out of the business that's a millionaire, there's a hundred guys that, you know, just were... The players in the game, the, you know, look, I mean, Hulk Hogan lost his fortune. Rick Flair lost his fortune. And those guys were, were millionaires at one time, the billionaires. And, um, you know, you look at a guy like John Cena now who's on top of the world. I mean, it's one slip and he could be, you know, a Billy Joe Travis, an Axel Rott, and a guy who, you know, had it all and ended up dead or, you know, not rich any longer, you know. So it's like it's a very destructive business and it's a very selfish business. Um, and that's not to say that I didn't love it because since I was a you know five year old kid, it's all I ever wanted to do. But in hindsight, you know, um, I probably should have taken my father's advice and got the job working for the union with the benefits and all that stuff. But you know, this is what my dream was, and it was tough to tell, uh, you know, I started doing this when I was 16 years old, it's tough, years old, it's tough to tell a 16-year-old kid not to follow his dream, you know, and, and I was good at it, so that made it worse when everyone, you know, all the, the old-timers like Funk and, you know, you know uh, Paul Warndorf, Nikita Koloff, you know, Mick Foley, they're all like, wow, this kid has just got it, he's got the hit factor, he can talk, he's got charisma, he can work. You know, so I thought, you know, my head was blowing up like a, you know, Macy's Day balloon. I thought I was going to be huge, but then, you know, uh, I got in my own way, basically. No, I was, I had, um, I had stuck a needle in me in five, I guess about five years. You know, so I'm I'm way past that, and um, with with to that, um, I have to get a 
methadone credit. A lot of people, you know, are down on that, but it, it really saved my life um, because it separated me from that, you know, street drug user mentality, and it kept me to the point where I could wake up every morning and be a normal person because people don't understand when you're addicted to heroin, the first thing you do is when you wake up in the morning, if you don't do it, you can't eat, you can't think, you can't do anything. So that gave me a bit of sanity. So, you know, luckily I had uh, been far beyond that when when this happened. But, you know, the, the back thing was an ongoing issue I've had since I was, you know, like 20 years old. I had a chiropractor tell me, you know, way back, you know, that if you want to be able to walk when you're 40, you need to stop this wrestling stuff now, you know, and I didn't want to hear that when I was 20, so I kept going, but I'm just, again, blessed and able to, this isn't easy. But I gotta tell you, mine doesn't. Um, I can tell you one that does, but I won't. I'll, sh- I'll share one with you that um, <clears throat> my good friend Mick Foley, he likes to share every now and then in his stand up routine. Um, back in 90 or 91, I had a little brief run with WCW, and um, my traveling partners were Abdullah the Butcher and Mick Foley. Now, you gotta picture this car. You know, Mick Foley driving, Abdullah the Butcher sitting up front, Axel Rotten sitting in the back seat. Um, we look like a real, you know, shifty bunch of guys. So we're, we're, we're in Florida, and we're, we're riding to the next event, and we're flying down the road. And, uh, you know, this cop car goes flying by, and bam. And I was like, wow, man, that dude's really calling ass. And then... A couple seconds later, there goes another one, and another one, and another one. Not, and then one gets in behind us, and I'm sitting in the back seat, and I said to Nick, I'm like, Nick, are you, are you speeding or anything? He's like, no, that's what I'm doing, you know, speed limit, everything's cool. I said, I really got the feeling this cop is tail, tailing us for some reason. He goes, relax, we didn't do anything. You know, and we're on like a four-hour drive, so I'm sitting in the back seat. I got my shoes kicked off, just chilling. Abby's up front smoking a cigar, and he's like, you know, and his Abdullah the Butcher words, like, which no one really knows. It's champ, champ, don't worry about it. We're not doing anything wrong. None of us have any drugs. We're not doing anything illegal. Relax, champ. And I'm, and I'm thinking, guys, something's not right here. Well, we get further up the highway, and you can see in, in, in the pull down all these lights and, 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 and police cars have the entire road blocked off. And then when I take a little bit more look across the other side of the highway, they have traffic stops. They have everything blocked up, so the only car on the road is us. And so we get up to the stop, and, you know, the guy in behind us pulls up next to us, runs us off the road. Um, at this point, when the car stops, there's about 15 um, SWAT team members with um, assault rifles trained on our heads, um, 
you know, when a guy on a megaphone saying, you know, driver, put your hands outside the window, step out of the vehicle. So Nick gets out. Put your hands on the car. He didn't put his hands on the car. Um, I instinctively was getting ready to reach down to get my shoe, and, and Abdul would say, my life, goes, champ, 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 don't you dare reach down and grab that shoe. Uh, they'll shoot you. They'll think you're going for a gun. And I was like, oh, you know, I was only like 19, I think. Um, and, you know, the Abby steps out of the car, you know, and now when Abdul, the butcher, steps out of the car, you know, that's quite exciting. And then finally they say, you know, backseat passenger, get out of the car. I step out with no shoes on. Well, finally one of the the, the guys um, goes, well, no, guys, call, call, stop, stop, stop. He recognized that door of the butcher. So the cops the cops walk up to the car. I mean, and we're sh- I'm shaking like, you know, at least with a tree. Well, apparently what had happened is there were three large men that robbed an armored car and got away with the five hundred thousand dollars and shot and killed the both of the the drivers of the armored car. And the 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 description was three large gentlemen in a a large maroon Cadillac. We happened to be three large gentlemen in a large maroon Lincoln. You know, and dude, I'm telling you that was the scariest moment other than almost going down in an airplane that I've ever been in, man, because one of those, you know, young rookies on the hair trigger could have easily killed us, and it was just that mistaken identity, but, dude, it was the scariest fucking thing that I've ever been, you know, to look around and see all those guns pointed at your head, you know, but I got this feeling something was wrong, but then Nick kept saying, Axel, what were you worried about? We didn't do anything. But man, when they when they put those guns to your head, you know your life is like in their hands. So that was, that was the craziest road story, you know. I can get into you know the sex and the drugs, but no, that is a road story that is completely unique, and I don't think anyone else has anything close to that. Unless you throw like Bastion Booger and Abdullah the I mean, or Bruiser Brody in there with it, then you know, we're getting shot. <laughs> Who's going to want to fuck with that crew? Unfortunately, we know he's not knife proof, but you know, Frank was a hell of a, he was a tough son of a bitch. No, I never got to work with him. I was on a show with him uh, one time in New Jersey, but uh, yeah, he didn't take much from anybody. He was he, a guy like him and David Schultz. You know, they were kind of like the real deal. They were real tough guys. They weren't like uh, like, like, if, if, like and the Irish Sheik is the, was the same way. If, if if they wanted to beat you up or they wanted to stretch you, you weren't going to stop them. You know. And, um, you know, Hulk Hogan, you know, like, Sheik and I are very good friends, you know, I love him to death, he's, he's a great dude, and I remember he always told the story the night that uh, he was supposed to drop the strap to Hogan in Madison Square Garden, how nervous Hogan was, because uh, Hogan went over, because Sheik said, fuck this, I'm not doing no this job to this guy, and the big nose having to blow me, not going to get it, and, uh, Hogan goes over to Vince, he's like, oh, hey, brother, uh, uh, she still want 
do business. I don't know what I'm going to do, brother. Um, and, you know, and then she went over to talk to Sheik and Sheik. Oh, no problem, Mr. McMahon. I put over a big Holly Hope, not Holly Hope, big, big Hulk Hogan for you, big USA versus land. No problem. <laughs> and then when Hogan comes back over, he I'll break your fucking leg, you know. <laughs> And, and, and Hogan was legitimately afraid because, you know, Sheik was one of those guys who was the real deal. He was an Olympic wrestler, you know, a, a coach. He could shoot on you. I mean, I'm not talking punch you and beat you up. I'm talking about grab you, put you on the ground, and, um, you know, out-wrestle you. That's the kind of guy he was. Oh, no, you, I can stop you right there. Vader, without a, without a doubt. I mean... Um, I was uh, lucky enough, or unlucky enough, if you will, to be his first opponent back from the Japan tour in w, when I was in WCW, and I wrestled in, I still remember, the UTC Arena in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And if you guys remember how uh, Vader used to get guys in the corner and just throw those crazy, heavy fists yeah. inside the head, you know, and he literally knocked me out of the ring, you know. I mean... And I'm laying there on the floor, and, and I'm like dizzy, and my head's spinning. And I'm looking up, and Nick Patrick's there counting. And, uh, and Vader walks up behind Nick Patrick. He goes, uh, uh, tell that kid I'm sorry when he gets back in here. You know? <laughs> like, uh, you know, and, but, but, and he goes, I get in there. And he goes, okay, you owe me one. And I was like, uh, no thanks. <laughs> I'm not going to piss him off anymore, but yeah, he's uh, at, in, in the height of his career, he was a tough, strong, you know, he could impose his will on pretty much anybody that he wanted to. And not that he shot on me or anything like that, but you got to remember, he had just gotten off the plane from Japan. And in those days, everyone back there, you know, the Americans had big respect, and he was one of the most respected, and he worked real stiff with those guys over there. And, you know, kind of the, the transition, you know, he hadn't made it yet. So it was like, hey, let's work together and dance out here, do a little Shakespeare, put on a good show. He was still in that mindset of, you know, beat the hell out of your opponent and, you know, make the, the people pop for you know, the brutality of the match. But, yeah, without question, he was the toughest uh, son of a bitch I've been in the ring with. Yeah, I just talked to him last night, actually. Um, and um, the thing with Ian is, you know, we literally kind of have a legitimate, like, family-brother relationship. You know, it's like love-hate. You know, before ECW, we were pro wrestlers. There was no blood and guts. It was about, hey, ref, he pulled the hair, getting the heat with the crowd, going out there, walking and talking. And like Tracy Smothers always used to say, you know, and this is my adage that I firmly believe in, I, you know, I go to Tracy every night, and it was so simple. Say, hey, Trace, what are we going to do tonight? He goes, I'll act clean, and then we're just going to start off slow and then taper off. And if you're a good worker, you can do that. You don't have to be a spot monkey. You don't have to do a million things. You can go out there and just put on a show and tell a story, and Ian is great at that. But we got pigeonholed doing this blood and guts violent stuff, and that's what people expected out of us. And then... When they go back and mount the network is on, they watch some of the old um, hardcore TV stuff before we uh, broke up, and they're watching us do arm drags, and I'm doing flying spin kicks, and 
Canadians doing German suplexes and double underhooks. They're like, wow, we didn't know you guys could do that. I was like, well, you know, what, what did you think we did before all the hardcore stuff started? We were pro wrestlers. Let <laughs> me talk about, uh, you know, ECW TV. I remember, uh, you know, before the day, before the internet, you know, uh, it was even in the internet. I remember the only way that you could order a lot of these, uh, I and mean, get your hands on a lot of these ECW home videos was the, uh, those little 10 or 12 second spots when they would advertise it, you know, on ECW TV, you know, with beer would, uh, you know, would come on at like 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night. I remember uh, the very first video tape that I ever ordered uh, from ECW Home Video was uh, Hardcore Heaven uh, 95. Well, you got to see a, I guess it was the type of deathmatch. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. That, now, that was my first uh, kind of look into the, uh, you know, the real ultra-violence uh, in, in wrestling. And, and I think it capped off uh, probably uh, probably my favorite feud of the ECW years. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that, about the type of deathmatch? Who's all dealing with that? How did that, you know, kind of come about? Was it just, was it born? And I have no problem saying this, but I don't think it's being braggadocious. When Ian and I started our feud, that's what really brought the press to ECW. That's when people started looking at it. It was like um, early 95, and they kind of gave it the name of Summer of Violence is when, you know, we we just said, um, you know, Paul asked us to do something. He goes, I need you guys to go out there and do something that is, Never been seen here before. Yeah, you I don't know that. what it is, but let me know. And we did it. Uh, with that night, I just was. I took a hammer and I was, I was a ring hammer to ring the bell, and I just kept beating me in the head with it, and he was bleeding like a pig. Um, but then we came back with the barbed wire baseball bat match, which was the first time it had ever been done in the United States. So the people went crazy for that. And then um, I remember Vader and Hogan were having a strap match, so Paulie wanted us to put on a hardcore strap match, so we put on a strap match that buried theirs. Um, and had, it was capped off with a Taipei death match, which I have to give Ian credit for because, you know, he saw it in one of those movies. I don't know if it was American Kickboxer or Bloodsport or one or the other. And um, he said, let's do it in wrestling. And, again, I have to say, this year, this year that we're in right now marks the 20th anniversary of that match, and there's not a week that goes by that people don't ask me about it. So um, when I sit back, I realize that we made professional wrestling history during that match, and um, people still talk about it. Um, you know, the after magazines, if you remember back then, that was the best way to get your, your source of wrestling news. You had Wrestling Insider, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler. You know, that summer into that early fall, it was saturated with Axel and Ian Rotten. You know, uh, one of the photographers, Jason, basically said the main reason that after sent him to ECW was to photograph our stuff. And they even gave us feud of the year, you know, which was at the time we were like, and this, we were basically an independent promotion running Philadelphia and, and New York and Boston. We were running three towns. And to be given that accolade over Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon and Ric Flair and Randy Savage, it was really a big deal because it was actually the first major, um, quote-unquote, award that ECW had gotten in a major wrestling publication. So, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of it, but... Uh, 
the wrestling business being as it is, you know, 20 years later, now here's Vince McMahon still making money off of that match, and, you know, Ian and I aren't seeing a nickel, you know. So that 9.99 that uh, JBL talks about every Monday night or whatever, you know, we're not seeing a penny from it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, man, like, um, um, I'm really taking it low-key right now. I'm just trying to focus on getting better, um, spending time with my family, which is something that I lost during all those years, which really means a lot to me right now. And, um, you know, just... Basically, the, the, the thing that I do is um, read a lot, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm just now waiting to get my copy of Ray Lewis's book. I can't wait to read that. I read Paul Stanley's autobiography, Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses, Gene Simmons' new book. Um, I'm into just, you know, anything music-related is, is something that I really enjoy. And, and, of course, with the physical therapy and stuff like that, that keeps me busy three days a week. And, um, you know, and I'm just trying to increase my um, visibility on social media so uh, people can still know that if they want to reach out and, you know, there's, there's things that, uh, you know, I like that people ask a little bit of advice on it. It's fun to give them. So, like, if I can give a couple shameless plugs right now before I get off of it. But, um, yeah, but I'll go ahead. Whatever you want to promote Instagram, yeah, Twitter. Just, just, you know, it's real simple. It's like, uh, if you want to get me on Facebook, <coughs> excuse me, it's facebook.com slash axelrottenetw. Follow me on Twitter, please, at axelrottenetw. That's A-X-L-R-O-T-T-E-N-E-C-W. Same thing on Instagram. It's at axelrottenetw. And, you know, feel free to comment, leave an email, because uh, every now and then, just like with you guys, I'll, I'll just answer somebody randomly and uh, just have a conversation or answer the question. So, you know, I'm not so much into what's happening in the business right now because I'm really not impressed with it. But, uh, you know, if people want to, you know, have a question or want to know what's happening, I'm just trying to do the best I can to get back to feeling better and walking and being able to, you know, just, you know, I'm not asking to run a marathon. I just want to be able to live a, a, a regular life. And um, if, if an opportunity comes to do something, behind the scenes in the business. I'm definitely open to that. People have been begging me to get into stand-up comedy, but I think that's so cliche now because so many wrestlers are doing it. But um, the Axel Rotten autobiography is something that has been in the works for like 10 years. But, you know, this whole situation that's happened to me now has kind of added a whole other chapter to it, so it's not done. You know, um, I thought it was going to end with, hey, I've gotten clean and sober and I'm living my life, blah, blah, blah. But now we had this whole new rehab with getting physically better. So, you know, that's it. Just get, get a hold of me on social media. And if you want to get uh, some Axel Rotten T-shirts, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. And you can go to the Axel Rotten store. they got eight cool-ass designs on there, man. Some retro ECW style, some good shit. So, you know, just all the fans out there, if they want to get a hold of me, you know, I'm on Twitter, at AxelRottenETW, and like you guys, this is how you found me, and uh, you know, here I am on your podcast, and it's been a blast. I really appreciate you guys having me on. 
I'm not, I'm not pulling any punches, guys. It's going to be you know, straightforward. You know, the things that make me look bad, I'm going to tell. The things that make me look good, I'm going to tell. So thanks for having me on. This is Axel Rodden. Hit me up on Twitter at Axel Rodden ECW, and you will hear me back on this show again. You guys were awesome. Thank you, and I'll talk to you guys again. Much love, bro. I know, man. It's, uh, it's so bizarre. I'm still sitting here with, uh, with a big, stupid, let me say a big, stupid puppy dog. I'm going to just toss the tennis ball to him. Can we do that on a wrestling podcast? I think we can do whatever the hell we want to do. Yeah. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Goodbye. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.